Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Hey, it's me, your barista. You know how you come in almost every day for our cold foam coffee? Well, now there's an easy way to foam at home with new International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. And it's foaming delicious. New International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. Now in stores. It's foaming delicious. You've reached Rebecca's cell phone. Please leave a message after the... Please enter your password and to listen to your messages, press one. First voice message. Hi guys, it's Kevin. I'm on the road right now. I'm in San Diego, phoning in uh, to let you know that I, I could use your help. If you've been watching our, our Facebook or our Twitter feed, you're seeing that I'm going to be walking a mile in high heel shoes, and this is all to raise money and awareness for the crisis center of Central New Hampshire. Now, I did this last year. Wore the high heel shoes. It was very uncomfortable. It was a little dangerous, um, but it was. It really opened my eyes because, first of all, I never considered what it took to literally walk in that kind of footwear, and many guys don't. And also, I realized that a lot of men don't consider what fears and what peril women go through when they are confronted with the possibility of domestic or sexual violence. Guys, we very rarely do we consider whether we're going to be coming home to a violent partner or whether we're going to have to make a run in the middle of the night. And we rarely wonder what are we going to do with our children when we do this. And, you know, even women in healthy relationships that never have to worry about their their partner being violent, they still, these women still on some level, have to size up this man on whether or not they're going to be in that situation in the future. And it's just something that, guys, we just do not understand. It's foreign to us. It's like walking in high heel shoes. So if you go to our website, crimewriterson.com, go to the blog, there's a link. And I've got a very modest goal. If you guys could just throw a couple of bucks in for my high heel shoe walk, I would appreciate it. I will personally recognize on the next episode everybody who throws a dollar or five dollars at this event um I, I really appreciate it okay that's my pitch on with the show end of message you have pressed an incorrect key to erase this message press seven message erased end of messages hey it's rebecca a couple of quick notes about today's show our crime of the week may sound a little bit like we haven't been keeping up with the news over the weekend, but that's because we recorded this episode on Friday before certain developments unfolded. Also, there are a couple of random spoiler alerts in this show. Not like Toby's famous true detective gaffe, but, you know, just don't say I didn't warn you about those. Okay, enjoy the show. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and you're listening to Crime Writers on Serial. This is a podcast about the podcast Serial, but we talk about lots of other stuff, too. Story crafting, journalism, crime, pop culture. And this week, we'll also take a break from Serial Season 1. There's lots of stuff about the Adnan Syed case out there. We're going to talk a little bit about the upcoming Season 2. We'll also dissect even more podcasts. We'll talk about the surprise indie hit Limetown and take a much deeper dive into a show that's hitting a little too close to home for some of us. It's called Missing Maura Murray. So joining me now remotely from sunny San Diego, California, where he's away at a conference, is my true crime co-author and real-life husband, Kevin Flint. Hello, Kevin. How are you? Rebecca, the weather is here. I wish the three of you were beautiful. (laughs) 
<laughs> nice. Really nice. Uh, joining me also is, I'm not going to say anything contrarian today because I read his brilliant book, The Vaults, last week, and it was incredible. Brilliant noir crime novelist, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hi. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a bit of a head cold. I'm going to be a little slow today. Hey, that's all right. That's all right. Kevin's that way every day. And we didn't think she'd be able to join us today, but here she is. Thank goodness. Journalist, private investigator, and true crime author, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Good morning. You just can't get rid of me. I can't get rid of you, and we are all set up remotely thanks to our fantastic donors to this podcast. You can donate online if you'd like at crimewriterson.com. We were able to get some remote mics so that we can all connect when we can't be together. It's just really, really good news. So, Let's first talk about some big news this week. We had some, we had a couple of things happen in the world of serial uh, in terms of the production, not the Adnan Syed case. Number one, a little announcement came out this week that there's going to be a Fox television program based on season one of serial. Um, Kevin, I'm going to go to you because you are our sort of resident uh, TV alum. What did you think when you heard this news and, and what do you think it could well, be? You know, first of all, I'm going to say if anybody's going to glom on to cereal, it's going to be us and not Fox TV. Um, what's interesting in the, um, the article is it wasn't clear to me whether or not they were going to be focusing on cereal's Adnan investigation. They're doing that or they're going to like follow along for seasons two and three. But I mean, everybody wants a piece of, of the cereal franchise, obviously. Uh, and so I don't know if it's going to be. I don't know if it's how that's going to play out. I mean, do we want to watch it again uh, on TV after we've lived it through the podcast? Um, or are they going to do something completely different? It, it 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 wasn't clear. The only thing that it, it just struck me is that the serial Twitter account hadn't done anything in about two months, and they said they just sent one tweet, which was a link to I think the Hollywood Reporter, and like I guess that's how they're announcing it. I guess it's legit. It is legit. Toby, did you hear this news? And what did you think if you did? Uh, yeah, I think I, I read something a little bit different where it, they made it sound like it was scripted. So it's not going to be sort of a documentary format and that it was going to be sort of following uh, a Sarah Koenig type character going from being sort of, you know, relatively obscure uh, to suddenly becoming very famous because of this podcast. It sounded like the it was actually the, the main part of the show was going to be about the actual sort of production of the podcast rather than the story that they're following. Yeah, that was the impression that I got too. And then I saw that the This American Life team were involved in the production. And this won't be the first TV show that Ira Glass is involved in. There was a Showtime series, This American Life, that was on for a brief period of time mm -hmm. that was very, very good. It was not fictional. It was uh, more documentary, but it was good. So, Laura, here's my question for you. Um, are we going to be able to get you to keep your uh, cable TV, knowing that there's a serial TV show that's going to be coming on? Well, I do have uh, season two of Outlander coming up, so I think I'm going to have to keep it. I don't know about serial, but I do need to see the Scottish guys in kilts. <laughs> Good to know you have your priorities straight when it comes I to do, your, uh, exactly. house, your household TV habits. So th the other big news that came out, and it's not clear, I think, completely if this was, um, I know that there are parts of it that are true. I don't think we know 100% sure what the timing is and how it's going to roll out, but we did get some news about what season two or a future season of serial might be about, and that is is the Bo Bergdahl case. Um, this is the case of a private first class Bo Bergdahl who slipped away from his post in Afghanistan. He was captured by the Taliban less than 12 hours later, making life basically hell for six weeks for the platoon that was sent to search for him. Uh, he just had a hearing here in the U.S. There's some great reporting on that that we'll post on our website, Crime Writers On. I'm interested to know, Laura, what do you think of this as a potential story for the serial platform? I think it's really interesting. I think that going to something that is obviously very political, um, something that I see as more of kind of, you know, having people on both sides of the issue that are going to have much more uh, preconceived ideas going into this about what they think about this case and what they think about him. Um, I'll be curious to see if she attracts a different type of listener this time, um, where this is a different type of case. Um, and also, if the people that were so fanatical about season one stick with season two, having it be such a different type of case. What do you think, Toby? Laura took all my talking points. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I was but... so distracted. My cat just carried a dead mouse in front of me. So, Oh, crime of the oh week. Oh, my God. Oh, crime of the day. <laughs> dead mouse. Goodness. So, all right. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think it's kind of a brave choice in that I think a lot of people already have, like Lauren was saying, pretty strong opinions about it. So, um, you know, unlike the Adnan thing where, where most people probably didn't know about it, we're just learning about it that way, you know, from from minute one, you know, most people who are listening will have some kind of preconceived notion about it. And I, you know, it's going to be one of those things where it's going to be, you know, half the people are probably going to hate it and or or sort of listen to it to find things they disagree with. Um, but I, you know, I, I think it'll be really interesting. I think it's an interesting story. Uh, he seems like an interesting person. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. Kevin, what are your thoughts about the potential of a Bo Bergdahl version of Serial? It's really intriguing. I was always very concerned about what the next season would be in regards to how, for lack of a better term, the public would be kept at bay from sort of jumping ahead. If they did the Adnan case now, everybody would run to the Internet and Google it and sort of have an idea of where it goes. So they, they went with a very low-profile story. Something going with a very high-profile story. However, it is very hard for anyone else to get that sort of inside story without having done the reporting. So in a way, I was really surprised and thought that was actually a very clever, I don't want to say clever, like this was how they were going to do it. But I think that it's very fortuitous that they, they, were, they were attracted to something that in a way it's hard, harder for the average Joe to just sort of Google, look at it, and, and move on. Um, but yeah, it could be very polarizing. I mean, you think, you think Reddit's, you know, batshit now about Adnan. I mean, imagine, you know, Fox News and Bo Birdall. You know, it's just going to be, it's got the potential of being a really interesting story because, because there's a lot that happened that we don't know. And um, I'm sure that Sarah and the team are, are working hard to come up with those, uh, those angles. I, I wonder who they are. Uh they have contact with. That's, they, that's my question, too, because uh, the thing we know about that team, if you, all you have to do is listen to This American Life and also Serial. They don't do a story unless they have people. So, Toby, do you think that maybe they have Bergdahl or maybe people in his family or like what, you know, can, what, what would you imagine the story that she wants to tell there might be? You know, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think his father certainly came across as a uh, as an interesting uh, person who who you know, made some choices, which I thought were perfectly justifiable and probably what I would do as a father as far as like, you know, what did he learn Pashtun or something? And he grew his beard out and he, you know, was doing everything that he felt like he could do in order to get his son back. But, you know, received a lot of criticism, particularly from conservatives about that. So he seems like an interesting character, but I don't, you know, and, and maybe they he would feel like this is a good platform to kind of get his perspective out. But I, you know, I honestly, I don't know. And then there's also, do you have contacts in the military who can kind of give that side of the story? So I, I don't know what she has, but it seems like there's potential for a lot of sort of interesting uh, different perspectives playing out on the on the whole scene. I think that there, there were a bunch of, um, you know, people who said, you know, we're starting to contact other people saying, I've just been contacted by Serial. And I, I remember there was I, in in um, one of the articles sort of announcing the rumor was that Sarah Koenig and some of the team have been, uh, you know, talking to uh, you know, some of the people in the unit. And, you know, there's this investigation. We know that there was this, um, you know, this was, lack of a better term, a commission that was put together to investigate what happened. And there was, you know, so much more that came up about this possibly being a protest against the chain of uh, leadership in, in Bergdahl's unit versus him just going AWOL. I think that, you know, we're we're going to start to see that's that's sort of, the, you know, the, the legacy of Serial is that as soon as somebody calls and it's, you know, Sarah or Dana or somebody like that, that the idea that, oh, my God, Serial is going to be doing this story. Um, people start passing that around pretty quick. Well, one of the things that I think, Kevin, you just mentioned that really struck me listening to some of the testimony at the hearings, and Wade Goodwin is the NPR reporter who uh, covered that Bo Bergdahl hearing, and I can't say enough how much I recommend not just reading the stories that he did, but also listening to them, because he does really add some inflection to 
what was happening in the courtroom, and he is just an outstanding, outstanding reporter. Um, he was talking about that protest thing, and he was, you know, saying that basically it, it sounded to me that the defense might be, you know, Bergdahl might have believed he was a whistleblower of sorts, and that he was trying to get somewhere where he could sort of tell people what was going on, and then of course put a bunch of people in danger. And then there is the whole what I think is most interesting. And Laura, I would just love your thoughts on this. That sort of idea, um, you know, the military code, people talk about honor, you know, you don't abandon, you don't this, you don't that. But you're also talking about, like, young people sent to a place that's very different than they might have imagined and what really happens when you're there. And I just think there might be a lot of layers of the onion there to sort of look at and, you know, not to mention the fact that we're in Afghanistan to begin with. Laura, what do you think? Yeah, that was actually something that I was thinking about with this whole case is sort of the mental health aspect and the psychological issues that are going on with somebody that's in that situation. You know, they're describing him as a model soldier. And then you're reading on and hearing about this protest and that he wanted to bring forward his concerns about the chain of command and this what was going on in his unit. And then you have people now saying he's clearly mentally not stable. But I'd be curious to know, you know, a little bit more about and I, I'm assuming she'll get into this sort of the mental health angle and the psychological angle of what's, you know, the impact on somebody of being in that type of situation at that young age. And But the great thing is we don't know yeah. Yeah. what angle they're going to take, which is really so fascinating. And so, again, according to one of the articles, um, you know, the only contact from within the serial compound to other reporters was basically a plea like saying, can you back off and let us do our thing? Because it makes it really hard because what they are doing is, you know, in part doing showing how the sausage is made. That was sort of the transparency of cereal. And so if everybody is not only saying who's, you know, hey, next week on cereal, it's going to be this guy, um, you know, makes it harder for them to tell their story. Right. And I think also what's interesting is that Sarah Koenig is now sort of trying to get the fans, maybe she's just trying to do a little preemptive strike to not have it be such an obsessive habit for the fans to maybe try, you know, trying to dig into this themselves. She sort of put out something about that. What did she say about that, Kevin? She, she's managing expectations. She said, um, I, what did, I think she said something along the lines of, you know, don't <laughs> don't expect to be as obsessed about this one as the last one. And I think she, that's, you know, she has every right to try to you know, if she watched True Detective season two, I mean, I think she should, you know, she'd be out tweeting all about it saying, hey, you know, just we're we're just putting a podcast out here. Don't don't everybody go nuts. But either way, I mean, I think we're going to have a really good time with season two. Speaking of obsessions, I want to talk about another podcast that's sort of uh, a disruptor, I think, in the natural order of things, especially, you know, in the podcast world. Vox actually wrote an article the other day called Limetown, Paranormal Serial Replacement. This is a podcast that's independently produced from a new podcasting network uh, called Two Up Productions. It's actually created by two friends who met as film students at NYU, and there have only been two episodes, actually two episodes and a, a brilliant, I thought, little mini-update. This is a fictional radio play. It follows a fictional public radio investigative reporter as she tries to solve the disappearance of an entire Tennessee research facility. It's incredibly stylized. I actually want to go to Toby first. So, Toby, you are a fiction author. This is a fictional radio drama would you have thought, you know, two years ago that you would be listening or that, you, that, that you know, something that was created as a fictional radio play, very much in the old-timey sort of radio tradition style, would be something that you would be listening to on your headphones, on your portable phone or MP3 player? Uh, no. <laughs> Doesn't this give you hope, though, for your genre? Like, this is, you know, it's like the comeback of the of the. You know, the crime fiction, the noir fiction, the mystery, but an audible Don't call form. it a comeback. It's been here for years. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't even know how many people are, are listening to it. I, I listen, I've listened to everything they put out so far. And, uh, you know, I've got kind of mixed feelings about it, uh, to be honest. I, I think the concept is really good. And I think the story is, is, is pretty interesting. Um, I, I kind of felt like they maybe could have done something a little more interesting in the format of the way they're telling the story, which seems to be basically chronological, where they start off by s sort of setting the scene and then 
you know, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think, you know, the first the first episode was basically setting the scene. And the second episode was they talked to this one woman who is sort of undisappeared. Mm-hmm. And then she starts getting really angry because the interviewer isn't asking the right questions, which I is sort of mind bendingly frustrating for me. Because the, the dialogue uh, was stupid, is what you're saying. Yeah, well, it's just it's, like you know, if you're going to set up an life. interview, if you're going to set up an interview with somebody, you know, it's your first interview since you disappeared, and the person starts asking you questions, and you're like, "Those are the wrong questions." It's like, well, you know, stop being a jerk. Tell me what I'm supposed to ask you, <laughs> and uh, and then you know, there's, you know, in all of serial, like in all those episodes, there were never people like yelling. There wasn't any of this kind of histrionics, um, which I, I realize this is fiction and is I, I just, you know, somebody yelling at a uh, at an academic speech and then the guy like clawing at the door on the outside. So that, that kind of stuff I, I didn't find that compelling, but uh, I, I like the idea and I'll keep listening. So, so I, what I hear you saying is that maybe they shouldn't be doing this as a play on journalism in real life, maybe it should be more fictional and less trying to sort of copy the investigative reporting style because they're just straying too far from, you know, what actually happens in, in, in the real world and in that format. Is that what you're saying? Well, I, okay. Like when I, when we started doing this and, and, and part of what I've been thinking about was the way that serial told the story, right. And that it wasn't like sort of a chronological thing. It was like, well, we'll look at, you know, the cell phone and we'll look at how long it takes to get from high school to the the uh, parking lot and, and things like that. Um, and maybe if they'd set this up a little more like that, so it wasn't sort of more of a, uh, you know, traditional linear storytelling type thing, even though you're doing it with sort of fake interviews and, and stuff like that, um, I thought it might have been more interesting. As it is, it, it seems... Like instead of just writing prose, you're you're trying to tell a story through interviews, but it's but it's very kind of linear in that way, and it, it doesn't use some of the advantages you might have in the podcast format in telling your story. Laura, I'd love your thoughts on Limetown. Um, thank you for listening to it. By the way, I know that I sort of you know I, I saw that it was number one on the iTunes charts a few weeks ago, and I was like, I haven't even heard of this thing. And then it really seems to be like straight up word of mouth. I mean, I heard about it um, on Twitter and I was like, what is that? And then I looked and it was number one and it kind of blew my mind. And Laura, I don't know if you listened because I was like, you should listen to it so we can talk about it. Well, I did. But I have to say, you know that I, I have a short attention span. So I have a hard time listening to podcasts that are getting so in the weeds that I, I have to take notes. And I enjoyed listening to this. I listened to it at work. Um, it was at first... I did find myself um, really a little bit irritated that the voice of the girl, um, the APR reporter in the story, was so similar to listening to Sarah Koenig. It's like an was, impression she's doing of her. Yeah, almost, yeah, and I was like, this is this is irritating. But I kept listening, and yeah, like Toby said, you know, some of some of the people that were speaking, they, you know, it was a little bit overly dramatic and campy, but. I liked it. It sort of reminded me a little bit of this show that I watched maybe two or three episodes of this summer, Wayward Pines. And then I, I guess I'm glad, and here's a spoiler alert, that I didn't watch the end when they all died and didn't escape from this mysterious town. But it had that same sort of mysterious vibe. So many angry emails. It's all right. Emails. It's all right. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, put a, I'll put a spoiler alert disclaimer at the beginning of the show. Spoiler <laughs> alert. It's no good. Um, so, yeah, it was a bit much at times, but I liked the format. And um, it was easy for me to listen to the paranormal part. Um, I thought that was sort of added another layer of mystery to it. Now, so when Toby was talking about the questions, um, the woman that was so freaked out about her interview. See, I was viewing it from this sort of paranormal standpoint and that it was sort of like preordained that this reporter was going to tell this story and these people had all been like brainwashed by aliens or something to know that she was coming. Um, maybe I've been living in my town too much uh, where we have many UFO sightings, but that was where I, I saw it going. <laughs> Kevin, what, what do you think of the story? What do you think of the way it's being told on Limetown? 
Well, I mean, I think it's it's um, uh, you know, a serial meets War of the Worlds. I mean, I think it's that's that kind of device, I and mean, that's what what uh, Orson Welles did is took a popular story and then just put it in a different format, popular format. And I think that that's kind of why it's like this. And I think it's kind of why Limetown isn't being positioned as radio theater. That it's you know almost trying to catch people into the idea, like oh, maybe this is a real thing. So I really liked. Episode one, I didn't care for episode two. I think, you know, Toby's um, uh, critiques, it was kind of clumsy and, you know, the acting was such, it was like, it just didn't feel like, um, you, you know, it, it, it sort of ended up feeling like a like a play and, and less like a, um, uh, we're doing a tour de force of uh, radio podcast journalism. So the idea, it's very deliberately supposed to be uh, a Sarah Canning type figure. And even though it has, in some cases, my critique of this, surprisingly, is that it has almost too much polish mm -hmm. to be a real piece of radio journalism, mm -hmm. which I think would add to some of the... Um, the, the 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 credibility of the storytelling. I mean, I don't know if the rest of you guys know this, but many years ago, when I was in radio, I started a radio theater group, and it was a bunch of people from different radio stations, and we would perform live. And w when you've you've done radio interviews and you've listened to radio tape, you, I mean, you know, you you hear these noises. This is people handling the microphones, and it's that rough edge. And hey, it you just, hear that on our show all the time. You hear that on our show all the time, right? <laughs> you know, and then the perfect sound effect of you know people walking. It's like when nobody has carpet in Limetown. You know, it's um, you know, I think there's some of these things here that could be uh, you know, maybe less stylized. I think if it made it, if they, they made it sound a little rougher, it would sound more like a real radio investigation. But I think that. You know, I'm going to keep listening to it. I don't think episode two is executed really well, but I see they've got a story. It's, you know, the Dharma Initiative, I guess. Yeah, it's and sort of the Dharma Initiative. It also reminds me of a lot of Stephen King's stories, you know, the sort of intrepid central figure who's a writer slash reporter who was always supposed to be there doing this thing, who has a loose connection with it, who, you know what I mean? It's sort of like mm -hmm. that. I think it's going to go somewhere clearly either paranormal or psychic or, you know, in some, it's going to have, you know, that at its core. It's very clear we're not solving a conventional mystery where people got on a plane and went somewhere. I mean, that's, that's how it feels to me. Yeah, and I think maybe if they tried doing this three years ago before Serial, they would have had a different storytelling device, but they certainly have said, okay, well, this, you know, episode after episode, and we'll frame it like it's an investigation, and that way we can get into all these other things, and people like that. Right. I think that's probably what they did. Well, I'd like to talk about another podcast that uh, some of us have been listening to and all are in part. This is the podcast Missing Maura Murray. A note for those of you out there who haven't heard it, if you don't want to be spoiled, you may want to skip ahead a little bit, but I think this is going to be a fun conversation even if you've never heard uh, Missing Maura Murray. So before we actually talk about it, let's take a quick listen to a conversation I just had with the guys behind it. My name is Tim Polari, and Lance Reinsterner is my co-host here. Hi, my name is Lance Reinsterner, and uh, we host the Missing Moore Murray podcast. And it is a really crazy case. It is about a 21-year-old college girl who got into a single-car accident in the middle of the White Mountains on a pretty low-tread road in February. She spun out, and she has never been seen from again. And that uh, has spurred a lot of theories. There's probably three major theories that people think is that she took off into the woods to avoid a DUI, but there's no footsteps. Um, one theory is that she got into another car, but no one ever said anything about that. Um, a car with someone that she knew or possibly a stranger, but then she turned down a stranger's help uh, who drives a school bus, who, who could be less threatening than someone who takes kids to school. So she went missing February 9th in 2004. Town was uh, Haverhill, New Hampshire, a uh, single car accident off of Route 112. Uh, by the time the authorities arrived, uh, her car was uh, locked. She was gone. And uh, since then, there hasn't been a credible sighting of her since. Uh, also since then, there's been a huge surge of information, speculation, and 
an online community that is trying to solve this case that just kind of keeps digging themselves deeper and deeper into it. And every rock that you turn over, you know, some weird bug comes out from underneath it that also needs answers. So this fascination with the case is really what kind of drives me when I do the podcast, when I talk about the documentary, what this case has done to people, the ripple effect that this case has, uh, has had on people when they start looking at the case, because people just want to know the answer to this. And after a while, they start forgetting why they even got involved with it in the first place. Would you say that, um, you guys have been caught up in that ripple effect? Have you become Maura Murray case pursuers yourselves? Yeah, I'm, I'm not as bad as I was about a year ago or two years ago. Um, but when I first watched the, uh, the videos that Alden made, yeah, I was, I was done. I was in the rabbit hole like instantly. I was locked on it. Like well, you, you say you're not as deep as you were then, but now you're doing a podcast about it. Yeah, now there's a podcast and a documentary, but if, I feel like I have a much clearer head about the whole thing. My understanding of with the documentary that you guys are making is that it's about that, right? It's yeah, about, yeah. It's, it's about the pursuit of, of the people's pursuit of answers on this case. Is that right? Y- yeah, that was that was uh, really what the main theme was. Of course, there's other themes that go along with it, and we focus on certain characters like James Renner and um, you know now Clint, and then there's some people locally. But that was what was um, like really fascinating to me in the beginning, and that's a major theme of the documentary: is what is it about this case that just keeps like locking you in? And it's once you start unpeeling all of the layers to this, you see. Some like the the rag in the tailpipe, you know, by the time it gets to, you know, certain people's ears, it turns into Fred had told the cops, hey, you know, if you find the rag in the tailpipe and it turns out like that may or may not have been true. And so I, maybe that's what keeps drawing people to it. But it, it there, there's also a certain group of people that get drawn to this and it's a platform for them to be really vicious to uh, to to the people that are looking into the case. Yeah, it is interesting, too, because there's no. I think a huge difference between this case, I mean, the reason I think, and one of the things you said in the first episode is that, like, this is pre-social media, this case, right? Right on the brink, yeah. Right. So there's a lot that there is to speculate on. There aren't a hundred photos from Facebook from that party that she went to that night, you know? And I I think that um, the big difference between this case that I see and, like, the serial case, which people are also really obsessed with and like in a lot of degrees like an unhealthy way I think (laughs) especially you know you know I think online I think that people have really become and I I just don't understand why I mean I think to think it's a bad trial is one thing I think to suspect that Adnan is guilty or innocent is another thing but to sort of be attacking people who care one way or the other is a whole new thing I, I think that what's different about that case though is that somebody is in prison and there could potentially be an outcome that either assures the right person is in prison or exonerates somebody who didn't do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So people's emotions are, you know, going to be worked up a little bit more. Yeah. And so what to you, I'm just curious, like, what is the outcome? People who are obsessed with the case, who've made like a hobby of it, like like a Clint, who seems like a completely cool, reasonable, normal guy who's had like an entire career before this. What is the outcome that would be satisfying to Clint, you think? I think it's murder. I think I think so, too. I think so, too. So to, like, find a bad guy and get that bad guy locked up? Exactly. Yeah, find her body and to yep. find out how this person abducted her in, in those seven minutes. Okay. So if Maura Murray's body is found and it's really clear that, you know, she was intoxicated, she was running through the woods, she just sat by a tree and froze to death and she hasn't been found because of whatever reason until now— Will it stop or will there still be the pursuit of something, you think? I think there still will be the pursuit of something because I also think the conspiracy angle is pretty interesting to people. I think if if there was a murder, I think it is interesting for people to believe that there is some kind of conspiracy going on in the New Hampshire State Police and a cover-up or something like that. Or not even a murder if there was even a body found. Even if a, a legit source came out and said this is clearly suicide, there would still be those uh, people out there who are so like entrenched in their own theory, in their own conspiracy, that it had to be somebody somewhere who did this. There would be a, a, a resurgence of you know, well, truthers. So are you guys, and this is the thing that I really wanted to ask you, because I think that your podcast, um, 
I, I, I think that you set up the mission very clearly in the beginning, and then it's kind of gone in a bunch of directions. And you've said, like, it's just interesting to look at this angle. Are you guys looking at that, you know, still just the fascination and why the fascination? Or are you looking to advance the case and learn something? Like, what are you thinking? Like, when you guys talk about it amongst yourselves, and you're not recording your show. Like, what are you thinking that you want to have happen or that you hope will happen? Do you have sort of an aspiration for this? We, we still keep with the theme of that, you know, the major theme of the being fascinated by the people who are involved in the community that's trying to find the truth. And uh, in an upcoming episode, we're going to go back and, and kind of reset everything and um, get some emails uh, out there. We're going to read some emails. We're going to play some of the messages that were left. Um, so kind of focus back in on the people who are who are involved in this uh, in this in this case. As far as an outcome is concerned, like amongst us, the way we talk, uh, like I, I don't know. And that's the thing that kind of keeps me, keeps me going on this is that it's, you just get in to a point where if you let it go now, it seems like you've wasted all of this time and energy. We have people who contribute to us who have, have started listening to the podcast and you can tell that they want to get back into it. But these were people that got really, really involved in this and, uh, for whatever reason, they backed out of it and they, they look at that part of their life and they're like, wow, I can't, I can't believe that how, how deep I got into this. Hmm. Uh, yeah. But, but I also think that at some level we're sort of driving this right now a little bit with, with these episodes and that we owe it to the people listening to find an answer or at least go as deep as we possibly can, especially if we think she was murdered. Do you think right. she was murdered? Do you guys have your own theories about that? Or are you going to keep that close to the vest? Honestly, like I, uh, what we really talk about after pretty much each episode is that we go in thinking one thing and then, you know, James Renner will say something or Clint will say something where I'm like, oh, that makes total sense. So I come back from it and I have a completely different, I try to like work out the scenario in my head. Okay, well, how did that happen? And all of these other little factors, like the red truck and the, the rusty knife and all of that, see how that can either be coincidence or, or, or does that fit into this person's uh, theory? And honestly, like I go, I, I go in and out every single time I talk to somebody about this. That's not a cop-out answer. I feel the same way. Uh, my opinion changes um, every episode. I mean, originally, my strongest feeling originally when I first got into this case was that she she ran off. She was driving. Someone was following her and the, the accident was staged. But since we've been doing this documentary and the podcast, just getting down to those real uh, early details of the case. Yeah. Now I'm getting good information and it's not just me trying to connect dots, you know, as like amateur detective guy. As far as an outcome, like what would satisfy me as an outcome? I guess I just kind of look at the like some scenarios if she if she did kill herself i would be satisfied to know that somehow we helped in finding her body and now her family can know that her body's there and they can finally put it to rest or if she hit patrie bassey and orchestrated this whole thing and she ran away and she was found i would be happy to know that she was found and this poor guy who you know this poor guy who will never be the same who spent weeks in a coma, you know, finally has some sort of justice. Is he seeking that justice? Like, is he pursuing this too? Or is, is it being pursued on his behalf? I'm, I'm a little bit confused about that. Well, we've heard that he wants nothing to do with it. Uh, we've heard that he doesn't remember the night. He's, you know, perfectly happy in his life. So I guess, I guess it would just be, that would, again, it would be a selfish reason. It would be for myself to know that some injustice was done and now it can be, it can be righted in some way. And if we help to do that, then, you know, that's an outcome I could live with. You know, it's appealing to me, like how open you are. On the one hand, it's appealing. On the other hand, I'm sort of like worried about you guys because <laughs> you're very, you're very open about, you know, hey, let's let's just look at this because I heard that you're like doing a paranormal episode. You're like, you know, why not? Let's just talk to people who think this. And I understand, like in the spirit of, you know, looking at all angles, I know that you probably got a lot of flack for the psychic episode. I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was mixed. Yeah. You know, but yeah. as a radio, I'll tell you, it was good radio. Like it was interesting to me to hear how she did her work. And, you know, I would, I'm kind of a person, like, I would love to believe that, like, you know, there are psychics. But I could hear her working, you guys, you know? And it's like, and you heard it, too, when you heard the playback, I think, a little bit. And, you know, the one thing you were amazed by was, like, her pulling the name Kathleen out of the air. 
And I'm just thinking, and I'm driving my car, like, this is an Irish family from Massachusetts, and there's a sister named Maura. <laughs> there's a very good chance that she knows somebody named Kathleen. Like, I don't know an Irish family that doesn't have at least one or two Kathleen's in it. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think uh, in the beginning of that episode, like, I, I think it's, I think what psychics do, if you're a good psychic, you know, you have this incredible intuition, you know, and you read people, and as far as her... Uh, playing us i'm sure you know I, she if she did then she did you know she's she she's she she reeled me and i'm kind of kind of i'm a, i'm a i'm a skeptic when it comes to that and i second year like sitting down with her there's no question in your head like oh this woman's legit yeah but yeah you know but she you know she she knows how to do it she does know how to do it. And I don't know if she's legit or not. I'm not going to, like, say she's not. But, you know, if I go into it thinking she's not, like, she's really good at her job. I mean, she's obviously been doing it for a long time, you know? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was, frankly, it was really good radio. You could hear, like, it sounded like she had, like, a lot of bracelets on. You could hear, like, <laughs> she, sure. so- she sounded like a psychic would sound when she was like, oh, he loved her. He loved her to death or whatever she said about. <laughs> um, it was just, it was fascinating. But I do worry about you guys a little bit because I worry about, um, you seem really sometimes really responsive and sensitive to online commentary about what you're doing. And I wonder why you worry about that when you're doing what you're doing. If, I mean, I'm wondering if you'll ever get settled into a point where you just like own what you're doing and ignore those guys on Reddit if they're saying something horrible about you. Or if you feel like you have to respond, like is it changing the narrative of what you plan to do when people really pile on you online and give you a lot of uh, flack about what you're doing? I know yeah. when I uh, when when I read those things and and respond to it, um, it goes back to the theme of the documentary and about the people who are obsessed with the case. I I kind of do it to I don't, I don't know if I should even say this. I kind of do it to there are certain individuals out there that we want to talk to who have been a part of this whole thing of the whole like internet um, you know obsession with this case, and I just want to make sure that those that they're listening and we want to talk to them and I want them to know like oh those guys are reading Reddit those guys are reading the comments so. I, I know for me, like I, I like doing that just to just see if we can draw some of those people out to actually get the interview with them. I, I think I do get a little defensive at times when uh, we get criticism about certain things that we do. And I'm sure we're going to get a lot for this paranormal episode, too. But um, as I said to Lance earlier today, it's anyone who's followed us to this point, I don't think they're going to bail on us if we do a paranormal episode. I think we're only going to gain listeners you know, people who are really into that stuff, you know, the coast to coast audience. So, Tim, I'm curious um, of all the theories that are out there about what happened in this case to you. What is the most like out there one? <laughs> as far as paranormal? As far as, yeah, as far as shirts. <laughs> okay. Don't please don't well, say spontaneous combustion. <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to say. Um, spontaneous human combustion. I know it sounds completely insane, but in my research into it, Everyone that has combusted or and, and there was the there's this video of, of a guy who talks about his his account of him and his friend were uh, were sitting on a couch and and they were excited they were going to a fish a fishing competition. They were so excited they were drinking beers and this one guy just lit on fire and the doctor said it was from the inside and in all the cases of spontaneous human combustion that I could find, Everything has to do with someone being so excited and so energetic. And I just wonder that if, if someone was trying so desperately to get away, to disappear, and then this you know, accident happens and they, they throw their hands up and the energy would just go even further and beyond, why else would someone spontaneously human combust? Uh, Lance, is he for real right now? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just, I'm just I, I want. Yeah, I want to be clear. I don't think that's actually what happened. Oh, okay. Tomorrow. I, you know, I appreciate you saying that because I can just. I mean, I will leave that part in where you just said that you want to be clear. That's not what you think. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, you know, I people were looking for more of that night. You know, I don't think anyone was looking for for ashes on the ground. <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's interesting. Kevin and I obviously write books about cases, so we're sort of in them for like, you know, like a year, you know, depending on what the process is. And I have to say there is something that happens when the book comes out and like you have to you know, talk about it. We still do library events about books. We wrote two books ago. But um, there is something about when the book comes out, you do kind of let it go. You get out of the rabbit hole. So maybe you guys should... Um, 
do that. Maybe you guys should write a book or something. Maybe when the movie comes out, you'll you'll be sort of released from the vortex a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that's the case. <laughs> Me yeah. too. I, I really like. I I really hope that after that that happens, then we can kind of keep it in our uh, peripheral vision, but not you know right in front of our faces. But I'm sure we'll find some other mysterious event to uh, to become obsessed about. There are a lot of rabbit holes out there. So I've put some links to more about the Maura Murray case and the Missing Maura Murray podcast on our website, crimewriterson.com. Let's talk about the case first. Toby, have you ever heard of this case before this podcast? I, I hadn't. Okay. So let me switch then to Kevin and Laura because, Kevin, you reported on this case, correct? I did, yeah. Okay. I did. So what do you remember about it when you were reporting on it? It, it wasn't my beat. It wasn't my particular story. But I remember covering, like, it must have been an anniversary because it was it it was not a um, you know a hot story at the time. It, it might have been like a two or three year anniversary, something like that. And I remember uh, interviewing Russ Conti, who was uh, at the time a lieutenant and head of the uh, major crimes uh, unit, and somebody from the Murray family. And it may have been this woman they keep referring to. I, I remember that nobody knew whether or not she had been abducted whether she ran off to run to do a you know to, to create a new life or she disappeared and died in the woods and uh, I remember doing the interview and it was pretty straightforward before I left the the barracks they um Russ opened the he said do, do you want to see the file on the case and you guys know Laura you've done this Rebecca you've done this you know when you get um you know the paperwork on a on a on a homicide or investigation, I mean it's it's pretty voluminous. It's several thousand pages. Sometimes he opened up the drawer, and it was like one of these morgue slab drawers filled with paperwork. And this was only you know like a couple of years into it. This is everybody that they had interviewed and all the notes and everything else. And it was it was this it was the biggest file they had for a miss. It, and it's a missing persons case. It, it was very, uh, you know, well, I mean, to, to the extent that I can say from the outside, not being an actual investigator there, it, they, it is pretty thoroughly covered. And, um, you know, so some of the stuff that comes up in this podcast, and we, I know we're going to get into the podcast in a minute, but it just, um, it, it's, it's, I, none of this stuff sort of lines up with like what seemed to actually was going on in Concord and in the North Country for these investigations and for the, you know, the effort people made to find Maura Murray. The, the only other thing I'll talk about, too, is, you know, when I did talk to the, the, the family member uh, from the Murray family, I remember getting a lot of sort of resistance to talking ab about anything that included perhaps suicidal thoughts or, or um, that kind of behavior. Because certainly it's uh, it was you know in the realm of possibility, and they seem to be willing to accept any possible thing happening except this, hmm. which you know which ended up being sort of like um, the black hole. It was conspicuous for its nothingness, mm -hmm. and um, so I I don't know. I mean I I don't assign nefarious motives to the family. Um, however, I, I, I think, you know, th th there are some strange things going on there, but I don't know, I guess if I, if I didn't have that experience and my only exposure was the, the podcast and, um, the, the, the book that, uh, James Renner is apparently writing, I don't know if I'd have the same impression that I do. So, Laura, you were in the state, obviously, when the case unfolded. Uh, what do you remember about it, and, and how does the podcast jive with your own knowledge and memories of the Maura Murray case? Yeah, I mean, this was, um, it's actually near where I grew up, at Haverhill, where she disappeared. Um, this is a place I, I went to a horse show every year, so I'm pretty familiar with the area up there. But I remember when it was in the media, you know, I was in the southern part of the state, so it wasn't an area that I was covering, I just seem to have it in my mind, this more all-American girl sort of picture. And I remember the dad being on the news all the time. Um, and just the mystery, there was just no trace of her. Um, so then listening to the podcast and hearing, you know, just 
how she was obviously a lot more troubled than I realized when I initially heard about the case and hearing some of the other things that were going on in her life at that time um, and some of the things um, that had happened at college. It, it sort of added another layer to it to me, another, it, it maybe a little bit more insight into other possibilities as to what happened to her. Well, what's interesting is that there has, and I think this is a result of it being, and this is what I talked about with uh, Lance and Tim yesterday, I also talked to them for their podcast a little bit and tried to, um, how should I say this, Tough add, love. add a dose of reality and sort of on the ground in New Hampshire about the uh, earnest work of the New Hampshire State Police and the impossibility that there's any sort of conspiracy going on inside the New Hampshire State Police. I mean, Kevin and I have read many, many, many New Hampshire State Police reports and files, and these are not guys who engage in conspiracies and cover-ups really at all. Um, And I'm a skeptical person, so if there were that, like, I would be all over it. Um, But, uh, you know, one of the things we talked about was this case was just, like, pre-social media. She disappeared in 2004. There are no, you know, photos on Facebook from the party that she attended a couple nights before. There's no sort of of that kind of tracking that you'd be able to do, that real-time tracking of a person now. And so that's why this robust, I think, community of conspiracy theorists has popped up around this case, this sort of online amateur detective community, because there's not it's like like the Adnan Syed case. There's not a lot to look at that points to what happened, that, the kind of thing you can see now when something happens. So. Toby, taking that into account, this sort of, you know, I think maybe what they were thinking they were doing with this documentary was exploring that online community and that that was what it was going to be about. But the podcast has sort of taken a different turn. And I'd love to hear your um, what I know will be frank thoughts on on Missing Mormor. I know you've listened to a lot of it, right? Yeah, I've listened to all of the episodes except for the episode with the psychic which I just couldn't force myself to do. I, I actually recommend listening to it. It's actually my favorite episode for a different reason than you might imagine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Go ahead. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, the, the, case, the whole the case, like her disappearance, is, is interesting. And again, I've listened to it, so they're, they're obviously doing something to, to keep me coming back. It just doesn't seem... Like the, it, they don't have, seem to have much of a structure or a plan. Like I feel like after the first episode or two where they kind of laid out what actually happened, that since then it's just been talking about the same stuff again and again and again. And uh, occasionally that, that guy Renner comes on and he'll like kind of fill him in on some stuff. But for instance, um, and I guess, I don't know, this is semi-spoiler alert, I guess, um, like in the most recent episode, I think, he comes on and this whole party where there's like nobody can say who was at the party and nobody wants to talk about it. And nobody – you know, there's no way they didn't know anybody who's at the party. Well, it turns out, according to Renner, that it wasn't like a party with like a kegger and like 50 people. It was in fact like a few people hanging out at the house. One of the w- girls was passed out. And so she wasn't even conscious while Maura was there. I think you're actually and, talking about Clint, not James Renner, that guy, the, the Southern guy, Clint. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, that, right. that's who you yeah. mean. He's, he's right. sort of the more grounded of the two experts yeah, that they keep okay. bringing out. Yes, that, yeah, go ahead. Because he, he did introduce some, like, facts. He brought that party thing. He also brought the thing about the rag and the tailpipe, which I think really <laughs> lends a lot of credence to the reality that Kevin laid out that this is, you know, likely – her wandering off, you know, her committing something, you know, that the, yeah. the, 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 the theory was that what had gotten out was that her dad had said he told her to put the rag in the tailpipe. <laughs> we know, which it didn't make any sense, right? You know, there, there's a lot of talk about stuff that doesn't seem like it's very clearly defined, uh, like what the reality of it was. And, and from there, from sort of a vague understanding of what happened, uh, quite a bit of speculation and, um, I mean, I can kind of go on and on. They seem, uh, you know, I, I don't want to be too harsh because, I, you know, I, I appreciate what they're trying to accomplish. There's nothing you can say about naive. them that hasn't been said on Reddit times 100. Oh, really? So go ahead. Okay. <laughs> well, it just, I, I don't know. It, it, seem, they, they, it seems a little naive at times and uh, especially like being frustrated with people on Reddit sort of trolling and they don't get that and why doesn't, why doesn't Fred sort of accept help from this community of people who are finding entertainment in his daughter's disappearance? 
which just seems so obvious why he doesn't want to be involved in it. And, you know, I, I think it also points out how much work goes into doing these things right. I, you know, I don't feel like they're really, you know, discovering anything new themselves. You know, it seems like they have this podcast so they can talk about it a lot. And they have a, a couple of people who are like doing some investigating. But for Serial, I mean, that was that was a months and months before it even launched. And then you have like a whole team of people working all the time on that story to turn up new new things. And at least my impression is that these guys spend some time, but then they just show up, like turn on the mics and just kind of chat about it without any real plan of where they're going. I think they really want, like Serial, I think they're trying to reverse engineer this. I think they want <laughs> the podcast to be really popular so people start feeding them information that right. they don't have. Because I don't think there is, I think that these are two guys who are trying to do a documentary and I think they've reached the point when they realize there's no there there. And they don't know what to do with what they have. And because there, there's no answer to the story and everything, Toby, is speculation. You're right. I mean, it's like everything that you could talk about. She ordered pizza. Well, did she want the pizza? Did she want to give the pizza? Well, everything is just that. And they, and then everything has, you know, this cloud over it of suspicion that uh, there were uh, the, the motivations of everybody's horrible and then maybe this could happen. And and now she, you know, well, they didn't declare her dead, you know, like, so that indicates that this is a whole big deal and that this other thing happened. And it's just the th I haven't listened to Clint yet, and I do want to listen to his take on it before I pass judgment. But the other stuff is just like I mean, they're just chasing shadows here. And um, it's it's like I just I cannot Rebecca that the book that Renner is writing. Can you imagine being the editor and the legal department? No. I mean, I mean, I would, I just, page one, Fred's a liar. Really? How do you know? We've got a lot of vetting to do on this book. <laughs> I just cannot imagine what that's going to be like. Right, right. I, I don't know. I just, um, I, I, I'm pulling my hair. I'm listening to it. I, I, you know, I don't want to give the, you know, the impression that I'm a homer here. Uh, I will tell you that my sources say that the cops don't think she's living in Canada. <laughs> you know, that, that some teenage, that some college age girl who wasn't smart enough to get away with buying subs with somebody else's credit card <laughs> just started a whole new life as a secret agent in Monaco. <laughs> you know, it's just, I don't mean to be flip about it. You know I mean, what? I have a better theory, Kevin. Go ahead. I mean, this is near where Betty and Barney Hill got abducted by the UFO back in the 60s. I mean... Let's get into that. Well, there's there's well, no way they're not going to talk about that. I mean, they're, <laughs> they're they're doing they're doing a paranormal episode around Halloween. Yeah, I mean, they just to, to, all of the all the evidence points to the fact that she was self destructive. She was perhaps intoxicated. This it, it, she crashed her car, and in in the middle of nowhere, she didn't her, her car wasn't found at the airport. She crashed her car, and it's very likely she perished in the woods because she meant to or she was hiding or something like that. And the problem is that they just have never been able to find the body. And I believe um, that if you talk to investigators and they could tell you candidly, which they cannot, they would say they believe it's this, but they cannot prove it because they cannot close the case without the body. Kevin, I think that what you're saying is absolutely probably what happened. I mean, the the psychologist they had on a couple weeks ago tried to bring some of that grounded, you know, background sort of in, you know, with like, this is a very common profile for young women to have, young women under stress, yada, yada. And then, you know, Fred Murray, in all likelihood, knows that this is what happened. And the idea that there are sort of hobbyist you know, investigators out there, you know, uh, is one thing. And I think that, you know, what, what I said to the guys last night is, um, you know, in serial, there's somebody who may or may not have been wrongly convicted for this crime. So you can say, you can make an argument that it is worth poking into, worth making a podcast out of, worth being entertained by in a way, and worth, you know, this hobbyist investigative thing because they are trying to get to a truth that could lead to an, an outcome. But let's just take the most you know, likely scenario that she either died in the woods and unfroze, you know, you know, sat down somewhere, died of hypothermia or committed suicide. It's very it's not uncommon for bodies to not be found. It really isn't, especially in New Hampshire. 
you know, is it okay that that all this is still continuing? Does it does it feel weird? I mean, Toby, I'd love your thoughts on this. Yeah, I, I, I think it's I think it's a little strange, and I think from the family standpoint, it probably gets in the way of you know getting on with their lives. Mm-hmm. And then there's that strange, strange guy who left the videos. Oh, that's weird. Do you know you know who I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, I know who you're I talking about. Yeah, they're 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 really hoping to get him for an interview. They, they, yeah, they which, actually told me that oh in the God, tape. Oh, my God. I'm sick to my stomach. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that seems like the exact wrong thing to do is to give that guy a platform. But, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I was actually talking with uh, a friend about this the other night. And if you're, if you're a family or a friend of hers, like the only reason why people are at all interested is because there's like some weird stuff around the case. And, um, and, and so that's, you know, sort of entertaining. But. It, it is sort of finding amusement in somebody else's tragedy. Um, and, and, you know, they're sitting on Reddit. You're not going to solve something. You know, I, I, I think you just sort of speculating and speculating and speculating and suddenly somebody's going to have the answer. So I, yeah, I, I, I Red, Reddit isn't even the half of it, Toby. I was looking at the documentary website and of yeah. course I haven't seen any footage, but apparently they all go with Renner to Canada and start passing out flyers of Maura Murray at bars and stuff at night? What? Yeah. 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 I mean, maybe I'm misinterpreting that gal- that photo gallery, but that seems to be what it is. I well, maybe that. it's Maybe it's some kind of performance art. I, God, I mean, <laughs> I was just... hey, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give Rabia and Susan and Colin credit when they start admitting that some of the stuff they talk about is tinfoil hat-ish, but this is all very tinfoil hat-ish. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I was just, I don't know if any of you, I know I told Toby to watch the video of the psychic on their website. I mean, that just made my day yesterday. I loved it. I loved it. Oh my God, it it was like Mimi from the Drew Carey show. I loved it. What I loved about the psychic, and I told this to Tim and Lance last night, was it was really, it was good radio because you heard how, I mean, she's good at her job. She's been doing this work for a long time. Whether or not you believe psychics exist or help solve crimes, she read them. She told them something. She had them. She did a very good job. And, you know, their their big revelation was that she said, you know, who's Kathleen? You know, if if it wasn't Kathleen, it would be, you know, who's Siobhan? You know, who's... (laughs) No, but obviously the only way to find out that Maura had a sister named Kathleen was through a psychic. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, let's... Nice job, Houdini. (laughs) All right. Well, you know what? I'm glad we got to talk about it. This is a case in our state that's making, you know, it's a hit podcast. We're not a case in our state. Who knew? I mean, maybe Kevin, you and I can turn one of our books into a future well, podcast. I think, I think it shows that the, the you know that cereal is the exception to the rule. That the sausage making is not interesting, and sometimes it's unsavory. And the idea that like you know, if these guys put together, if if we didn't hear about this podcast and they struggled through this obvious obstacle that they have of getting people to talk and advancing the story, you know, maybe they would come up with a documentary that would be something different. And or, you know, it would be it wouldn't, you know, to see them really sort of struggle. And I think that their motives are are good, but I think that they're just not advancing the story. And I think that they have to cut bait. I I was going to say that, but, you know, they put a lot of work into it and it's hard as artists. Look, the four of us have been there sometimes, you know, when they say slay your darlings, it's sometimes hard to say maybe this isn't the best project. But then the book comes um, out and you get to move on. And that's what I told them last night. I said, maybe you guys should just write a book so you can move on because it does come out eventually. And then you're, the edit, final edit's done and you can't dig in anymore. The one thing I will say, Kevin, you said something interesting when I was talking to you about the conversation I had with them that they have to choose. Are they talking about the fanaticism around the case or are they talking about the case? And they can't seem to make that choice. Yeah, you're right, because there, there's, no, there's no end to the case. They're not going to solve it. So the odds that your car breaks down and you get you hitchhike and get picked up by John Wayne Gacy, the odds are pretty thin. So if that's what you, your hope is that how this story is going to turn out, it's not going to turn out that way. I think it was a Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's move on to my favorite part of the show, a little segment we call Crime of the Week. And this week we're talking about a little something different, something I like to call Popegate. Gate. <laughs> 
Last week, Pope Francis made a much-heralded, much-celebrated visit to the U.S. He made moving speeches, did moving things, was seen plucking a baby dressed as a mini-pope out of the crowd and kissing it. And then, after his visit concludes, we hear the Pope had a secret meeting with Kim Davis, that Kentucky clerk who refused to issue and then to sign same-sex marriage licenses in the name of what she calls religious freedom. Now, the reason I'm saying this is a crime of the week is because Kim Davis did, in fact, break the law. But the bigger question is, what about the Pope? What about the Vatican's role? There is some controversy now about whether or not the Pope really knew about Kim Davis or whether he was tricked into meeting Kim Davis. Who knows? You each have... I'm sorry, guys. I know this is a big topic. 30 seconds or less to give me your thoughts on Popegate. Laura, I'm going to go to you first. What do you think about Popegate? Well, like I said, I love the baby in the Pope suit. I love the Pope's little car. I love how he kissed the sick boy on his way to the airport. I found it odd that he's struggled, or you know, not struggled, but he's really been somebody who's been open and tried to include people and not... Um, and, and this is something that's a very polarizing issue. And his entire trip here to the U.S. was characterized by being not political. And I found it odd that this issue came up after he left. It didn't it didn't jive. Toby, thoughts on Popegate? Can you keep it to 30 seconds? No. <laughs> um, give it a try. I'll give it a try. Uh, one is it, it sounds like it was one of those things where he was meeting with a whole bunch of people, like one after another after another. And, and she was one of them. Uh, the second thing is I think uh, – you know the Pope is is branded as being really liberal, and I think as comparison to, you know, Benedict and John Paul II. Um, but you know he, he he's more liberal than those others were. But he, the the papacy is still a fairly conservative uh, institution. You know, if you if he wants to talk about contraception or something like that, I think that's really the liberal thing. So it. it you know, I I was a little you know kind of disappointed given my my outlook, but uh, you know it, it wouldn't surprise me so much if he uh, w was going to encourage somebody who felt that they were doing something because of their strong religious beliefs. Okay, so now I'm going to turn to the resident Catholic in my life, Kevin Popegate. Go. Um, I'm just going to steal a line from somebody, I forget who it was, but, you know, it said the, the Pope also met with Mark Wahlberg, but it doesn't mean he liked Ted, too. <laughs> so you think the Pope was, what, tricked or what, what do you I mean, think? I think obviously it wasn't arranged by the Vatican. It was arranged by the, uh, the nuncio in, in Washington. And um, you can tell basically by the way the, the, the Vatican uh, press office had to uh, not deny not, – they didn't confirm. They did not deny – the meeting. It was, you know, Toby's right. There was a bunch of people that came through and she happened to be one of them. And it wasn't picked by the Pope. It was picked by the conservative uh, Nuncio who was, you know, appointed by the previous Pope. And, um, you know, it would tend to be part of the status quo. So, no, I'm not, I'm not surprised if the Pope really wanted to make a big statement about Kim Davis, he would have done it in public. Maybe kissed her like that baby in the Pope outfit. She came dressed like the Pope. I'm sure he would. <laughs> Kevin, what is your Twitter handle? It's at Kevin P. Flynn. Laura, what is your Twitter handle? At Laura Bricker. Toby, you? At TobyBallNH. I'm at Reb Lavoie. We will end it there. You can also find us on Twitter at CrimeWritersOn. Please leave a review for this podcast on iTunes. And if you like what you hear and want to hear more, support this production by making a small donation at our website, CrimeWritersOn.com. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. And for all the crime writers, it's great to be back. Thank you for listening. We will catch you soon. Okay, you ready? Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, here it comes. Okay, okay, I'm ready. Let's all go to court. Let's go make some law now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some law. Ow. I say we go to court. Yes, let's go to court. We're a bunch of assholes who take up a whole hallway with our conversation. Hey, you lawyer guys. You don't know me and Johnny are watching you. While we're high. That was fucking magic. That felt smooth. That felt oh. really smooth. So in the pocket. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. 
Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, essential plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.